All right, greetings everybody. Uh, welcome to season two and episode one, but what is now the known as the show as White Collar Crimes. Uh, we are no longer the Rhino Report. Uh, the anchor podcast here is now going to focus on white collar crimes as we have in a lot of past episodes. Uh, I will still be doing a podcast with uh, Greg Ulinchich, my co-host occasionally. We will be doing one called you can't state the obvious. That's going to be coming very soon. You'll be able to catch it on Buzzsprout and a lot of other places uh, that are out there. More on that later. But this uh, podcast will now focus on white-collar crime. Uh, this particular episode, we're going to talk a little bit about healthcare fraud, how it's one of the most serious and, uh, unfortunately, uh, one of the more common also uh, white-collar crimes that are out there. Now, as we've talked about in the past episodes, white-collar crimes are crimes committed by people of uh, wealth or power, uh, elites. They're crimes that are committed with a financial motive in mind. Um, I mentioned before, back in the 30s, this term was coined by a sociologist named Edward Sutherland. He believed that white-collar crime could only be committed by the rich and powerful. They had to be in a position of high status to commit these crimes. Later, there was a gentleman by the name of Hertz in the 70s that broadened this definition to include just about any type of crime that uh, involves a financial motive. Most people are of that school of thought. Most people now consider all kinds of forms of white-collar crime. You don't have to be an elite or you know wealthy. Uh, you know, a, a clerk from a municipality stealing from a water department fund or, or a bank teller stealing from, uh, you know, the bank fund. These are considered by many to be white-collar crimes, even though the people in these uh, positions are not people of usually wealth or any type of power or status. Now, healthcare is something we all have to have at some point. You know, I find myself, as I'm getting older here, I certainly uh, am having to uh, make more doctor visits and things like that than I had to when I was younger. Um, health insurance, of course, is a huge thing we all consider you know, when we're searching for our next job, you know, when you first get out on your own, it's not really something you probably think a lot about, but you get in your thirties, forties and above, it's something you start paying a lot more attention of, or and to, I should say. And it's something that we have to have. Um, it's something that I think keeps more people working longer than they need to. I personally have known people that have had to keep working for years longer than they were really physically feeling able to because they had to have health insurance, they had health issues, things like that. Uh, they couldn't afford, you know, the health insurance that their company offered, you know, on their own through COBRA or anything like that. So they had to, uh, you know, go through and uh, continue working even though they weren't really able to. And uh, it's sad and it's unfortunate, but that's uh, just the way it is. Um, it's a booming industry. I know uh, my wife is uh, in the healthcare profession. Uh, I have a cousin. She just graduated from PA school, physical uh, assistant school, so uh, or physician assistant school, I should say. So uh, close to a lot of people that do it. And I will say before doing this show, as is often the case uh, with any profession we talk about, the overwhelming majority of the people that do this are honest and upright and outstanding people. I can say uh, I have a lot of respect for a lot of the healthcare providers that I personally have. Um, again, it's a big industry. Uh, it counts for, I remember back during uh, when Obamacare came onto the scene, even back then, which we're talking close to a decade ago, it was estimated that uh, it was about one-sixth of the U.S. economy. So it's probably that much, if not, uh, you know, maybe even a little bit more than that now. Um, 
covers a vast amount of agencies. I mean, this can be, you know, physical therapy, uh, your eye doctor, your dentist, uh, your regular doctor, surgeons, you know, on and on and on. I mean, you know, pharmaceuticals, it's just a huge, broad industry because it's, again, something that pretty much everybody has to use in some form or some fashion um, in in a given year, pretty much. Um, Unfortunately, with this much money going in and out, there's always going to be a certain amount of fraud and abuse. Um, According to uh, the Sparrow study in 1998, about 10% of the money that passes through the healthcare system is handled fraudulently. Um, It's a lot of money to think about there. I mean, when you think one out of every $10 going through is going to be uh, involved in some type of fraud or abuse, that's pretty scary, actually. Um, but here's the thing. healthcare is different from any other type of product or service you use for the most part. And the reason that is is because the consumer usually doesn't directly purchase or pay for the service that's rendered. You know, you might have a copay or something like that, but who handles the financial end of your healthcare transactions? Your health insurance, you know. And that's the case whether you've got a private insurance, you've got it through your job like I do, um, or, you know, I also know people that are on the the Obamacare, the government forms of it regardless. Uh, You know, if you're on Medicaid, it doesn't matter. You know, you will not be the one processing the claim that you file, you know, for whatever type of medical service you had rendered. Um, So most are filtered through, you know, some type of uh, middleman, so to speak, and, uh, Anytime you have a middleman involved, uh, unfortunately, that can increase the uh, likelihood of some type of fraud. Um, so even though, again, you might be the one, you know, you're the one that pays, that's paying in a, a sense for this type of service that you want through uh, your healthcare provider, you really are not the one that is getting, uh, handling the financial transaction part of it. Um, and when you have a middleman and you have little oversight, um, as always, this can... Uh, you know, this can open the door, unfortunately, for fraud, and uh, it does happen all far too many times. Um, the middleman and the healthcare provider both are trusted to handle uh, not only the finances, uh, but the medical privacy and information uh, that's passed through and handed through to uh, through them, through the client. Um, of course, medical privacy, we've already spoken out on the previous podcast about that before. When we were doing the Rhino Report, we've spoken out about, you know, we do have some alarms and concerns of uh, the invasion of uh, people's personal uh, medical privacy. Um, we could do a whole other podcast on that, not going to in this one, but uh, just pointing out that it is a serious issue. That, uh, And this is something, you know, these the doctor and... You know, the insurance company people, they are entrusted to keep this, you know, information and handle these financial transactions honestly so the person gets the best type of uh, care and uh, that they need the most. Um, so trust is important. And as we've talked about in previous white-collar crime episodes, white-collar crime often, unfortunately, does involve some type of breach of trust. Somebody, whether it's their financial advisor or you know, um, their stockbroker, you know, in this case, their medical provider, there's some level of trust. You trust when you pay for this service, even if it's just a copay, that it's going to be handled honestly and ethically. And, uh, unfortunately it's not always the case. Um, again, that's a key component of white collar crime is a breach of trust. 
Now think about how many people get sick throughout the year in the United States. I mean, there are millions upon millions upon millions of process claims each year. Again, whether it's uh, private insurance, Medicaid, Obamacare, you know, doesn't matter. However you're paying for it, um, tons of claims are going to be processed each year. And even though we have, you know, we live in the technology age that we do, and even with the technology we have, there is no honest way or no truthfully, truthful way you can say that these are going to be properly processed and given truthful oversight, each and every one of them that go through. Not humanly possible, even with the technology we have. So what are some of the ways that this does happen where people do sometimes fall victim to uh, medical health care fraud? Well, of course, what we've just been talking about, we've got claims. Um, one of the most certain ways this happens is through fraudulent claims. Um, and this can be done by the insurance reps, the doctors, or even both. Uh, they can even team up on a fraud sometimes. It's certainly uh, happened before. Um, they can bill for services that they never rendered. They can bill multiple times for services. Um, they can overbill all these things. It's just the, the amount of ways they can abuse the filing of claims is uh, very vast. And all it takes is a dishonest insurance person or doctor or whomever that's involved in this. And uh, they have a chance to, uh, you know, make some easy, quick money. And uh, it can be done, again, billing for services that never even are rendered, you know. And the scary thing is, do a lot of us really truly review our statements from the doctor and you know, when you get the little itemized bill, I mean, I, I won't lie, I'm uh, I'm guilty of it. Sometimes I don't look at it probably as closely as I should. You know, again, you just take for granted and trust that your insurance and the people that handled your uh, your claim here, the healthcare professionals, everybody like that, that they are uh, on the up and up and going to be honest. But uh, unfortunately, that's not always the case. And uh, you know, again, this can be easily abused and uh, overly done. However, they can do it and. Uh, that's why, unfortunately, it's uh, not always easy to be on guard 24 hours a day. And it's again with the millions and millions that gets passed through the system, it's very easy for them, easily for them to uh, deceive you. And uh, of course, another way is just simple kickbacks. Um, and we see this a lot with the uh, pharmaceutical industry. This is a situation where uh, a lot of times doctors simply get kickbacks from uh, the meds that they prescribe and. You know, if they're getting kickbacks for every time they prescribe a medication, they are going to prescribe it to people who do not need it. And, uh, you know, pretty soon they're writing uh, fraudulent prescriptions. Um, this is uh, certainly a problem that we know that's happened. Uh, we know that uh, this has led to not only financial damage of the white collar crime, but this particular type of medical fraud, in my opinion, has been one of the most harmful in a physical sense because it's given us the opioid crisis, which I plan to do a, an actual full episode on that here very soon. And, uh, you know, how some of the big shots in that, the big pharmaceutical uh, reps and, you know, CEOs and things like that have gotten away with uh, some pretty serious crimes here. But, you know, there is probably, and I can tell you from all my years in, you know, law enforcement, there's probably as much, if not more, prescription drug abuse than there's being done right now of illegal drugs that are out there. And again, who's making a profit off that? I mean, they are making a profit off of, uh, you know, people suffering here. And uh, 
again, it's led to an opioid crisis, which, uh, you know, if you live in a rural area like I do, it's, uh, you know, it's really bad per capita in a place like where I'm at compared to other parts of the country. And uh, people have gotten rich off this, whether it's uh, doctors or pharmaceutical CEOs, uh, you know, pharmacists, whomever. Um, Again, we will do an actual episode on this, you know, coming up, how a lot of them have gotten very rich during this and it's led to what's uh, known as and this was a term I didn't even know till uh, about 10 years ago when we were living down in Florida when some of them got busted in the central Florida Orlando area and uh, the term came out on the news about pill mill and at the time I hadn't heard that around here in southern Illinois because you know we were living down there at the time but uh, some of these uh, pain clinics and things like that were running pills through literally just like it was a mill just like it was being manufactured uh from a factory and uh, these doctors were passing them out like candy at a parade and uh, a lot of these facilities got shut down and some doctors got brought up on charges we will you know probably cover a couple of those in the uh, opioid episode but uh, are these unethical physicians writing these prescriptions unnecessarily you know for financial gain if so uh, God help us if that's the case, because they are willing to let people get addicted and suffer um, for financial gain. And uh, are companies willing to pay these doctors kickbacks to unnecessarily prescribe these drugs to people, knowing the danger and harm that they have, the high level of you know, uh, addiction that these drugs bring and things of that sort? Um, so question would be... Uh, why would some of these professionals do these things? Again, when is why is enough not enough? You know, I'm often fascinated, I think, by white-collar crime. I often said because people who have everything, so to speak, and it doesn't seem to be enough and they just want more. Um, I, most of these doctors, maybe, you know, not all the doctors we know are rich, but, you know, most of them are certainly fairly well off. The most very few that we know are hurting for money. Um, same thing with pharmaceutical CEOs. Um, you know, they're very rich and powerful people. So why aren't they content with what they have? That's just the uh, $64,000 question, as they say. And, uh, you know, that's something we will explore always throughout this podcast, because it is something that does kind of uh, puzzle me a little bit. You know, I mean, some financial crimes I've seen that people commit through desperation and things like that, uh, you know, financial strain and desperation, uh, it's a little more understandable. It's known in the criminology world as a strain theory. You know, people uh, through economic strain or societal strain or whatever, finally, the weight and stress of that commit, you know, some type of crime. Those are, to me, more explainable than situations like this. You know, if a doctor has got a good practice, he or she is already making decent enough money, why would they need to take in, you know, more from kickbacks? You know, again, if you own a you know, pharmaceutical company, it's big business in this country. You know, I'm sure you can make plenty of money. Why would you need uh, more to, you know, bribe doctors and give them kickbacks to uh, give extra unnecessary prescriptions of your medication? You know, it's one of the seven deadly sins we know, greed. But uh, unfortunately, it pops its head up even sometimes in our uh, in our health care. Um, we know it's usually a motive, greed and financial crimes uh, in financial crimes. But can it be a crime of violence when you're talking about medical fraud? Well, there's some that argue, yes, it can. Um, Examples they give are unnecessary surgeries. Um, We've seen cases where some have been put through unnecessary chemo treatments. Uh, Again, I could probably do an episode, and I don't recall uh, the doctor's name. I could do an episode on him probably, but uh, there was a doctor, I believe it was, down in Florida that was uh, 
running a cancer uh, clinic, and he was purposely misdiagnosing people with cancer and having them taken through uh, unnecessary chemo treatments and things like that, billing for multiple jobs he wasn't doing, and uh, you know, on and on, and you know, made tons of money. Of course, thankfully, he was finally brought to justice. But uh, you know, I I know some people. I'm sure most people listening to this do. You know, somebody that's gone through chemotherapy, and it's brutal. And can you imagine having to go through that only to find out that uh, you didn't have cancer? It wasn't necessary. You didn't have to have that done. And that's you know that's what you're dealing with, and their greed can blind somebody that much to commit some type of act like that. So there are times it does become violent and become deadly. Again, going back to the opioid crisis, getting people, uh, you know, to you know the health problems that the addictions cause, which sometimes do lead to death. Um, you certainly could make the case that certain forms of white collar crime, like medical fraud, can indeed be violent. Um, according to Raymond's study, 2001. Approximately 16,000 people per year die of unnecessary surgeries. 16,000. I mean, that's pretty close to the, a town. There's a town near me where I'm at here uh, called Marion, Illinois. A lot of you may know where that's at. It's a famous prison. Uh, Pete Rose, John Gotti, a lot of famous federal cases have uh, served time in that prison. And, uh, you know, it's a town of about, you know, it's a little bit bigger than that. But uh, still, that's a, that's a pretty good-sized town. And according to the the... Raymond study, that's how many people die a year from this, from unnecessary surgeries. And we've seen the harm. Did a podcast on the Peanut Corporation of America, you know, sending out the salmonella poisoned uh, peanuts, the Ford Pinto case, which sent out the, you know, fraudulent or the uh, faulty bumpers that were causing the cars to explode upon impact. The W.C. Grayson Company about the asbestos, where they sent out uh, all kinds of asbestos into the community and in their minds and, you know, poisoned their workers with it, which took it to their families and home and on and on and basically leveled a whole town. So we can only hope all these cases are all around us like this. We can only hope any of us can't be victimized. You can only stay on guard so much. You just really have to trust God that he's going to watch out for you and make sure you don't fall victim to anything like that. Because in the end, healthcare fraud, just like everything else, in the long run, it also hits you in your wallet. Um, we know malpractice suits already drive up the cost of our premiums and uh, our health care costs. Um, tort reform, we could do it, definitely do a show on that. Uh, one of my co-hosts sometimes, Greg Ulinchich, we've talked about this for years, that it will be almost impossible to, to lower health care costs without some type of tort reform. But uh, is that going to happen? It's very difficult. The, uh, you know, the trial lawyers in this country have a very uh, high uh, level of... Uh, political muscle, I guess you could say. They have a very powerful lobby, so it's not likely anything will be probably done over that. So the costs are going to keep coming to you. You know, anybody that's had any kind of health care bills at all in the last, you know, few years, even if your insurance covers the majority of it, you still sometimes will get stuck with high bills, and it's not fun. You know, I know we certainly have over the years. My wife and I have, as I'm sure most of uh, you listening to this. And what's causing to drive this up? A combination of fraud and, uh, you know, uh, malpractice suits, you know, some of which are legitimate and let's face it, some are not. We certainly all know ambulance chasing attorneys do exist out there and uh, many of them are willing to file fraudulent cases just to make a quick, easy buck. And again, that drives up the cost to you. So once again, the rich and the powerful avoid paying the true price for it and who gets stuck with the damage? The victim. That's in this case, most of us. That's you. 
you're the one that's going to get stuck with the higher costs, the higher premiums, um, you know, stuck with the bills that you may have to pay on that you're not able to pay all the way. All the time you can get you the one that gets stuck with it. And justice, unfortunately, for the rich and powerful, it's not always done at the same level it is for uh, you and me. And again, yeah, the cost is going to get brought on to you. And that is something that we will say. I will say we have the best health care system in the world. The main, if not the only reform it really needs is the cost. I mean, as far as the quality of service, I think we have the best quality of health care in this country than anywhere else in the world. They come from all over the world when they want to come here. We've seen uh, leaders of socialist countries come here for their uh, procedures because, you know, their uh, socialist countries just don't offer the same quality that they offer here. And uh, we have the best in the world, and hopefully it will continue. But there will have to be some type of reform. And, yeah, I do think it will require a certain level of tort reform. And, uh, it, unfortunately, I think will never fully reach its potential as long as there's dishonest uh, doctors, lawyers, CEOs, anybody that's willing, again, to make a quick, easy buck. It's just unfortunate that it's just this easy sometimes. So we'll be talking about some more. Um, this is an issue that's very common. Healthcare fraud, unfortunately, is very common in white-collar crime. And like I said, we have an opioid crisis in this country that I feel I'll need to address in the near future. So thanks for going along on this ride. We appreciate it now, starting a new season, new format. And uh, we appreciate your support so far. Like us on our Facebook page. Um, I've got a website now that connects you to the podcast uh, where I also will con- connect you to the voiceover services that I'm involved in and that I provide. You can go to ryan-horn.com, check it out. Um, you know, like I said, there's a link on our uh, anchor page here that you can uh, donate if you like our show. But more importantly, we need your listening. We need you to follow us. Uh, these tough times, and these are crimes that need to be exposed. The elite oftentimes don't pay the price for their crimes like the rest of us do. They don't get the media scrutiny that the rest of us do. But through formats like this, we can help shine a light on that. And I thank you for joining along and helping me do just that. God bless and take care, everybody.